This is The Balanced Dilemma. We tackle the often uniquely, but not always, female dilemma managing life, work, family, and self. I'm Maura Carlin. And I'm Christy Derrico. At The Balanced Dilemma, we speak with women and men to hear their balanced stories. Our guests are entrepreneurs, reinventors, creators, executives, parents, and partners, telling us what we really want to know. How the heck did they manage that? And can you have it all and all at the same time? Like most women, Christy and I have experience with dieting, maybe a bit too much. So when we were approached to try a new lifestyle strategy by the founders of This Radiant Life 31, we had a bit of dieting fatigue. But we also couldn't resist learning more about giving up sugar and really dig into how alcohol consumption figures in. You're going to want to hear this. Sia Sugar is a science and mindfulness-based method that claims to end sugar addiction, reset hormones, stave off the mid-age waistline creep, and educate women facing peri- and post-menopause years to develop sustainable lifestyle habits. So I gave it a go because the platform strives to disrupt the eat less and exercise more strategy. That, for some, doesn't work. On day 10 of the daily support email I received from Sia Sugar, there was one entitled Sia Addiction, which contained a graphic of the infinite loop of sugar addiction and how alcohol is part of that. That really got my attention. And this is what we would like to discuss today, the toxic but not necessarily alcoholic relationship many women have with alcohol and how women have been targeted. I'm sure you've heard of mommy juice and how can we be more aware of this for a better personal life? And as we've said before, Christy and I are not doctors and this is not medical advice. You should consult your own health care providers. Our guests are Jen Dorf and Jean-Marie Stein. Jen is a nutrition and wellness coach. She received her certification from the Institute for Integrative uh, Nutrition in New York City and completed the acclaimed Food as Medicine training through the Center for Mind-Body Medicine. She's also certified in mindfulness-based stress reduction and completed prana meditation teacher training. Jen founded Jen Dorf Wellness, where she coaches private clients and small groups. And at the Apple Store in Greenwich, Connecticut, Jen runs the Corporate Wellness Initiative. Jean-Marie Stein has a different background with degrees in electrical engineering and math education. She has worked in problem solving at NASA, on Wall Street, in the classroom, and in the kitchen. With a love of teaching, she founded Thrive Tutoring New York. After going alcohol-free in 2019, she was plagued with an unhealthy sugar addiction, which is why she partnered with Jen on this endeavor. Jean-Marie and Jen, welcome to The Balanced Dilemma. Thank you No, no, it's okay. Thank you so much. We're so happy to be here. Thank you. So let's start with the title, This Radiant Life 31. What does the name mean? Jen? This Radiant Life 31. So when we started the program, um, we began with a 31-day method. So the 31 is the days. Exactly, exactly. So our first creation is called the Sugar Experiment 31, which is 31 days, and it's to help break the sugar addiction that so many of us struggle with. Um, And the idea is on the other end of that is this 
ability to feel radiant um, through going through this process. And that's sort of how it all evolved. So you were trying to create an accessible, easy-to-follow program to help people kick sugar? A hundred percent. I ended up with a very serious sugar addiction that I kind of didn't understand how to break. And even though I kept um, participating, honestly, I did about five different programs. Things like I quit sugar, but I couldn't quit. And I was very frustrated because I had quit alcohol, which would seem to be more difficult than sugar. So why do we need to kick sugar? Oh, um, well, one thing is uh, it eating sugar makes you want to eat more sugar. So it's addictive. It's definitely, well, they, they, there's a lot of argument because the food industry would like you not to think of it as addictive. But Jen and I feel there's a day in the future of reckoning in the same way that the tobacco companies had to come to reckoning of what they've done to humans. So we believe it's addictive. We're convinced it's addictive. It certainly sets up an addictive response in your body. So I, I guess that where I come from is why can't you just stop eating sugar the same way you go on a diet and say, okay, I'm not going to eat dessert or I'm giving up um, pasta or cheese? That's a really great question. And the problem is, is our food supply is controlled by, well, 85% of our food supply is controlled by 10 companies. And Sugar has been poured into everything. And so until you increase your awareness and what sugar's doing to you, you're kind of helpless. Because once, if you start your day wrong, let's say with a nice little innocent bowl of yogurt, you have already created that dopamine uh, response that's begging for more sugar by about 10.30 in the morning. And I'll just add this. So having done this uh, platform and learning, learned some things, Little things like reading the labels on yogurts, reading the labels on tomato sauce, which just looking at the jars on my uh, uh, pantry shelf showed that they went from three grams all the way up to 10 grams of sugar that I wasn't even looking at. So to your point, it does appear that we're being uh, force fed sugar without even realizing it. But tell us what kind of things that you found uh, that were that insidious introduction of sugar that you really try to get out of the cycle. Okay, so I thought it was super healthy, and I had um, yogurt with only two tablespoons of granola on top. I measured it because I knew it was really high in calorie. I didn't care about sugar. I didn't know that I had a sugar problem. And then a little bit of fruit. When I added up what I had, I was eating 52 grams of sugar in the morning for breakfast. And the daily recommended amount is not to exceed 26 grams for women. So this brings a big question. You, you sound like that's a really healthy thing to eat. You're talking granola, fruit. Are these forms of sugar? Yes, except that you can buy yogurt that doesn't have sugar. And you, do, and you don't want to look for unsweetened either because then they might have poured artificial sweeteners in. You want to look for no added sugar, and it's very available. Um, I actually had to replace my granola is sugar laden. I replaced that with some nuts and still some fruit. And now I have a much healthier alternative. So when you're talking about giving up sugar, are you including things that metabolize into sugar like pasta and bread, which they're not sugar per se, but they're carbohydrates? 
Yes, that's such a great question. And because the white foods, as we refer to them, metabolize similarly to actual sugar, we we offer taking a break from those items during our program. Also, we all know that fruit is healing and loaded with antioxidants and nutrients. However, fruit can be addictive as well. So do you recommend certain fruits like perhaps giving up bananas and grapes, which have higher sugar content than berries? Exactly. So berries, apples, pears are lower glycemic, so they assimilate into your body and impact your blood sugar levels differently. So we do take you off the fruit for the first several days just to completely break the addiction cycle and to actually reset your taste buds as well. And then food that you didn't realize was so sweet actually is very sweet. And I heard mention of something about not having sugar in it and saying sugar-free, what's the difference with that? Because you might think Splenda or uh, Equal might be good for you. Talk to us about fake sugars. Okay, so um, you want to look at what's been added to your food. Uh, We are okay with stevia and monk fruit, which are natural occurring sweeteners that have, um, they're lower in calorie and less impact than sugar, less, less glycemic impact than sugar. Um, But we also don't hate sugar 100%. We just want you to be mindful of how much you're consuming. Um, But when you get into these artificial uh, sweeteners, um, the research is really bad. Many of them are 400 to 600 times sweeter than sugar, making you crave ever more sweet food and dislike vegetables. Um, They also are associated with uh, numerous negative health outcomes, um, various cancers, Uh, Just very recently, they finally have uh, released a new 2,000 or 20,000 participant uh, study on ethertol, and it is very negative coming out of uh, Cleveland Clinic, and they were finding an elevated uh, incident of heart issues and stroke among their participants in all age groups. Well, we're going to take a break now. We'll come back and we'll talk sugar and alcohol. This is The Balanced Dilemma. You're listening to The Balanced Dilemma, and we are talking sugar and giving it up. Before our break, we were discussing fake sugars or sugar substitutes. What does your um, program do with those? Are you allowed to have them? So during our programs, you take a break from artificial sweeteners as well as natural sweeteners. So even though we are fans of stevia and monk fruit... We recommend using those in small doses after the program. So during the program, we give ourselves the gift of taking a break from all sweeteners. Is it to change your taste buds so you don't want anything sweet at all? Exactly. That's part of the process. It's psychologically driven as well. We're breaking that dopamine Cycle, and we get into the neuroscience and the science of cravings, um, and then to reset the taste buds as well. Yes. So, if you had to choose, because you're just really addicted to this, Coke or Diet Coke? Hmm. So, my niece took this program at age 50 because she had a very, very rough menopause, and she had been a Diet Coke addict for 18 years, drinking three to five a day, and it's the first time she's ever been able to stop. 
So quite frankly, I don't want to choose Coke or Diet Coke. They're poison. And I just don't think that we're supposed to be ingesting those. And I would encourage you to experiment with some seltzer water and other flavors that might float your boat. And not juice. No. My poor husband. No, the juice is, the juice is another uh, sugar. You mentioned grapes before. I think of, I always look at them and go, oh, those little sacks oh. of sugar. Um, juice is pretty uh, bad, and you should probably keep it to about two ounces, but pour it into a big seltzer water. Yep. So let's pivot to what we really, really want to hit, which is alcohol as sugar. Explain why alcohol is sugar. Well, in the program, we get a daily email. And when I got to welcome to day 10, of, and it was entitled CU Addiction, CIA Addiction. And it says food addiction is real. Quitting drugs like sugar is hard. Being sick all the time is even harder. What do you really want for yourself? Do you really want your health or your drug? And it went on to talk about this loop of addiction. Why don't you tell us about that, how alcohol is really part of this loop? So um, I know that your listeners know that I have been alcohol-free for four and a half years. And when we deal with an addictive substance... We will need more of that substance over time and more frequently to feel the same buzz we get from it, the same um, feelings it gives us. With alcohol, uh, it's no different than any other drug. I, I just, If I could just make a little sidebar, we tend to ca- talk about alcoholism and alcoholics as though uh, they're not, that people aren't dealing with an addictive substance. Like we don't say heroinics or we don't say cigaretteaholics. So I have a problem with that because we pretend that alcohol is innocent. Alcohol is an addictive substance. As you use it, you will want more of it to feel your high. Now, interestingly, that first 20-minute high is a sugar spike in your body. And as that sugar spike dissipates, you still have the alcohol and you're starting to get all the feelings of alcohol. But you now want more sugar. And so you drink some more alcohol, and you just continue to do that. Um, Are you saying that it's not possible or unreasonable to expect to be able to have just one drink? It's very difficult for many people. Um, There are people who can moderate, but they're few and far between, and I don't know what distinguishes them. Um, Most of us will drink more, and I really envy those who can moderate. I think it takes discipline. If you're finding yourself thinking, I'm going to have one drink and you have two, and you're making bargains with yourself, you're already starting to start a slippery slope. And I think this brings us to a good discussion point because COVID brought us to the precipice. There uh, appears to be a targeting of women, and I mentioned mommy juice in the Or mommy wine culture. Mommy wine culture. And there were major movie stars who talked openly. Chrissy Teigen, Katy Perry... J-Lo doesn't drink, although I did read she was doing an alcohol line, which is really discouraging that she did something so off-brand. But I was told by some women from Canada that Canada recently changed their drinking guidelines. And when I looked it up, it states that no amount of alcohol is safe and recommends no more than two drinks a week for men and women as alcohol-related deaths soared in Canada happening in covid i'll just add to that u.s officials recommend that women have no more than five ounces a day now if you think about that that's about half a cup a day do you know anyone who has half a cup when they have a drink 
of wine? No, and the interesting thing is when I was trying to decide what I wanted to do, one of my uh, nieces was a health expert, and she said, you know, you're not allowed to save up all your drinks for Friday night. So a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, I get seven five-ounces drinks a week. No, you don't. You get five ounces a day. And that's considered moderate drinking, but anything more than that is considered chronic drinking. So we try to dance a thing to around, I think, the alcohol lobby is very powerful. Right, but you're bringing up a good point. You're distinguishing between a conversation that talks about alcoholism versus an addiction to sugar, which is all part of this whole conversation that we're having. And there was a Slate article, which both Maura and I picked up, that is really doubling down on when the wine industry started to correlate health benefits from drinking and they're really it was a pretty long article and it's stating that maybe we need to revisit those findings because they're they may be flawed due well, to the methodology and the uh, who paid for the program for the research, which that's was, what, in fact, the alcohol industry. That's always the problem. So now I want to get to concrete examples, which Jean Marie, Jean Marie and I have talked about offline. So you're going out with your friends. You don't want to stand out like, you know, uh, a sore thumb, uh, having, you know, alcohol-free drinks. How does that work for an everyday person? Tell us about your so experiences. A lot of people have a fear that they're going to be rejected because they're not drinking. And... Um, if they're in this audience, what they're actually going to find is their friends are envious, jealous, and want to know how they're doing it, uh, and very supportive in general. Is that what you experienced? It is, 100%. Um, I am the tangent tracker. I can help us remember what we were talking about. I can tell everybody what we did the night before. Because <laughs> you're sober. I can drive. Um, <clears throat> I can get us on to the next thing that we need to do. Um yeah, they, 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 it's very easy. And then what I, I do like to have a drink, so I, I make a non-alcoholic drink for myself. But here was an interesting thing you said to me, and I, I took a note of this after we spoke. You found that when you were in certain settings, it was hard to get served when you weren't ordering alcohol. Or even with your server who might be thinking about the bill as they're serving the table and you're the one not ordering a bottle of wine. Why don't you tell us about that? Because I did find that it was true. Um, unfortunately, this is true. It's true at weddings where they're not even making money by bringing you more wine. But it's, uh, it's just easier for them to ignore you. And it's very true in restaurants. I might get a really nice mocktail to begin with, and nine times out of ten, nobody asks me if I want a second one. Nobody says, can I bring you some sparkling water? It's, um, it, it, you feel like a second-class citizen, and that has to change. It is changing in marketing because you're seeing more and more mocktails on menus. This is The Balanced Dilemma. We're speaking with Jen Dorf and Jean-Marie Stein about giving up sugar. And right now we are in the middle of our alcohol discussion and why alcohol is sugar. Jean-Marie, you were talking about mentioned mocktails. Isn't that more sugar? You have to be very careful with that. I have a favorite mocktail. I like seltzer with muddled cucumber and mint, a, a ton of fresh squeezed lime, and that's it. Maybe a splash of cranberry to make it look really fancy. This is a very low sugar drink. So you're not using any kinds of juice? No, and you have to be very careful because people will pour simple sugar into your drinks. And that's just sugar. So. Aren't there types of, uh, of um, alcohol that are less sugary than others? Like, for example, vodka has less sugar than wine. Isn't that the case, Jen? Absolutely. The clear alcohols 
Uh, we recommend on our program, if you are going to have any alcohol in moderation, uh, rather than wine. So, go ahead, Christy. And what about the hard seltzers? This is a big movement now. Are these in the clear category, or how do you feel about them? Label reading 100%. Some of them are loaded with sugar, and then there are a couple higher-end ones, like High Noon, that has a smaller amount of sugar. Hmm. Is there a way to find a balance where you can drink some, you know, really moderation, you're both looking at me like, hmm, we don't really <laughs> well like the idea of drinking at all. I can speak on that piece. Uh, moderation is tricky for all of us. Balance, this balance dilemma that we all struggle with. And what we teach and practice during our program, Sea of Sugar and the Sugar Experiment 31, is really taking a pause and slowing down. We can't change anything in our life that's dysfunctional and not serving us until we have awareness. So in terms of moderation, we have to first create more empowering habits by slowing down. So the moderation with sugar following our program and the moderation with alcohol go alongside one another. So for the program... You take it out completely, and then if you want to reintroduce it in some moderation or balanced method, you Uh, can? Yes. We like to say, enjoy and savor sugar on your terms. Not when it's hidden in our breakfast food where we're not aware of it that creates spikes throughout the day. So that's really our takeaway. Jean Marie and I do enjoy small quantities of sugar. Uh, in moderation, yet going through this process of abstaining for a certain amount of time to reset the mind and the taste buds is key to achieve that. So many things to jump off of with this, but I want to go back to something, talking about this targeting of women. Do you really think that the industry is targeting women, and in what age groups, and tell us about that. Female drinkers are the number one growing um, segment of the alcohol Industry, and that's why they came up with the hard hard seltzers and then the low sugar seltzers. And you can observe young thirty year olds drinking seven white claws. So they are definitely being targeted. That they are the place they think they can make the most money. And there's a culture within these. You know, oh, you deserve it. You've worked all day with the children. You should have a glass of wine now, or you should have a drink with your friends. Um, I do think it's interesting that the younger generations are rejecting alcohol and Gen Z is drinking at a level 20% lower than any generation before. They see it. Alcohol is toxic. So they're kind of stepping away. But are they switching to weed? Yes. That's a really good question. And, yeah, um, unfortunately, and CBD. Yeah. and yeah. But we're not going to get into that. We're going <laughs> to stick on, our, on sugar on and brand, alcohol on tar- today. On, on topic today. I, I, I want to just come back one more time to moderating. I It's like, again, we've just tried to cloak sugar in a cloak of innocence and alcohol because we just worship it. I mean, think about how beautiful bars are when we walk in. We don't want to look at that like cocaine or heroin. And, I mean, it's an addictive substance. And if you are going to use it. Well, yes, if you have an addictive personality, 
which is a lot of type A, which is not a negative because a lot of things that made you as successful and who you are are also things that will make you that, that can help you become addicted to an addictive substance. I want to add one other thing about addiction. So much of addiction is neglecting our own needs and self-care. And we're distracting, we're numbing, we're trying to get rid of our experience of living our day-to-day life. And this is really the key here, is creating new habits that are more empowering, that are about self-care, because we're taking care of everyone else. We're trying to do so much. So let's... Can you give, let, let's talk to how we kick the sugar habit. Can you give us some examples of what we should do in the morning, during the day, and at night? If you go to my refrigerator, refrigerator right now, you will not find one item that contains sugar. So I eat food as it should be, bread or yogurt or fruit or tomato sauce, um, uh, not a white-based uh, pasta, but I'll eat pasta made from chickpeas or lentils. Um, I don't eat sugar all day now um, so that I'm, I'm, I have awareness. I read every label. It doesn't come into the house if I haven't read it. And then if I want a cookie, I'm really happy with a cookie because I'm not in the throes of jonesing for more sugar. You know, I, I when I started this, I literally found myself one night standing on the top of a stool in the pantry looking for sugar and I was so humiliated and it was 11 o'clock at night. I was so horrified with myself and embarrassed. I was like, okay, this is it. It's done. I'm done. I have to take care of it. So given that you clearly feel better, everyone's going to want to know how much weight did you lose? Oh, actually, that's a really interesting question. I lost about eight pounds just by switching out the sugar. And that's interesting because when I quit alcohol, I, I, I lost like four pounds. But then when I just changed i still eat sugar i'll eat some ice cream i'll eat a cookie um i eat things that should have sugar in them i know there's sugar in them and then i can eat it um yeah so i think maybe maybe six to eight pounds just just taking sugar out of my everyday food well glucose goddess which is another platform talks about the order in which you eat food and that is something i've been thinking of and along with your your platform but i just want to before we skip ahead to that if we all lived in a vacuum, this might be easier. I live with other people, and they live; they occupy different age groups, and they also have different metabolisms. How does one get their refrigerator to be sugar-free when you've got teenagers, youngsters, spouses who like all different kinds of things? How can we help ourselves get on the good path? Any advice there, ladies? Jen still has three daughters at home, in and out, so that's a tricky one. Uh, listen. We The best way is modeling, is really practicing self-care for ourselves, uh, depending on who's cooking the meals, who's shopping. And listen, there's nothing wrong with having junk food in the house. The key, though, is loading up on fruit, loading up on veggies, and offering a nourishing, healthy meal. And it's never too late to change the rules, no matter how old the kids are. So I have a question. Do both of you find yourselves at times making these um, separate meals for the family? I, I find that I'm going to make things in uh, the better formula, the brown rice, uh, a protein, the vegetable. And if somebody else wants to add something to that, I'm not getting involved. How do you handle it? 
I agree with you. And um, I, I happen to know that your son loves your cooking. <laughs> and I was yeah. going to say that when my one of my niece's sons became um, about 16, he was eating them out of house and home, but he was eating junk food that she was buying, bags of chips, bags of garbage. And I said, provide, double up on dinner. He was very happy to sit and eat a whole meal of chicken and brown rice at 4 o'clock in the afternoon versus bags and bags of food. So kids actually will eat delicious food if you have it there for them. It's about convenience. Exactly. So you call your platform a lifestyle plan rather than a diet. What's the difference? Well, diets don't work. Diets are all about deprivation and willpower. Now, we can pretty much do anything for 10 days, for 30 days, but until you build sustainable habits, teeny, teeny habits, you are never going to make it a lifestyle. And on that, we'll take a break. We'll be back. You're listening to The Balanced Dilemma, and we're discussing see a sugar getting rid of sugar and alcohol from our diets but first christy would you tell our listeners where they can find us of course they can find us at thebalancedilemma.com where you can listen to old episodes and sign up for our newsletter find show announcements show notes resources and further reading follow us on social media at the balanced dilemma podcast on facebook and linkedin podcast episodes are also available for listening on apple itunes google and spotify please rate us and share us with friends i believe our guests have a question for you christy so christy if you were going to make one lifestyle change one non-negotiable what would it be for you so one of the biggest changes i made was my uh we we talked about you know losing weight and things like that i can't say that needle has moved a huge amount on the scale but I feel tremendously better by getting on top of my low uh, blood sugar uh, problem. And how I did that was um, the thought of intermittent fasting terrified me. I don't want to be hungry, but I stopped racing to eat food to get ahead of the sugar. I used a lot of the skills that you recommend, not eating sugary fruit, uh, eating less sugar food, things like that, but I cut out getting to breakfast first thing in the morning and I just pushed it back a little bit maybe if I could get to 9 30 10 o'clock and I'm going to tell you my blood sugar has been better than it has been my entire life which has been a constant problem that horrible feeling of crashing eating more uh, protein heavy meal plans Um, I used to love to treat myself with something like a muffin like that was the reward I do not eat muffins anymore, no matter how much I love them, because they just result in a crash, and I feel terrible. And it usually happens when you're in a very high-stress situation, which all of us have with work. And that's my takeaway, and it definitely worked. Let me ask you this. Should we be considering how we measure our success differently? Like maybe instead of pounds, look at the inches we lose or look at our energy levels. How would we measure that, and what do you think we should use? So when we begin the program, we ask all of our participants to take a selfie because you see uh, the reduction in puffiness in your face, in your eyes, pretty much in about three days. Do you ask them to weigh themselves also? We ask them to measure their waist at their smallest, their hips at their largest, and their belly at their largest. And we do ask them to weigh themselves, although they are welcome to not do that. Um, Some people lose no weight and lose six inches off of their belly. Hmm. 
so interesting. Yeah. And most importantly, majority of our participants say they have more energy, more clarity, less brain fog. They're more patient and just focus and they sleep better. Sleep is a big one here too. Do you think that following the plan they end up eating fewer calories or and should we be focused on the calories in calories out it's so interesting because so many people are used to deprivation that then the first few days we often get all these emails i'm so hungry i'm like please don't be hungry eat more eat a great big fat salad put some avocado in it more protein aim for 20 to 30 grams of protein at each meal so In the beginning, I do think people make a mistake that they think they're on a diet again and that they're not just learning a different way to eat. Um, So maybe, but ultimately, no. I think they eat differently. And we go out, we go hard on the evening snack to eliminate it. To Um, eliminate it. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it disrupts your sleep. and, And it's very helpful with intermittent fasting. So if you close the kitchen after dinner and then you eat your breakfast at, you know, 9 or 10, you're hitting your intermittent fasting um piece and you're lowering one more sugar spike and you're setting yourself up for a better night's sleep and i i just want to bounce off of something you said with sleep improving sleep is totally connected with getting rid of the alcohol so alcohol um anybody who has had a couple glasses of wine has maybe experienced um waking up at three in the morning it's always right around three what's happening there is a sugar crash And your body is going through sugar withdrawal. It's not an alcohol withdrawal. You've kind of fallen asleep because you were drowsy from the drinking, but you're waking up because you're ready for some more sugar. So that nightcap is really not doing you any favors on helping you get a good solid night's sleep. With diabetes being such a big problem in our population, and particularly the type 2, should everyone, do you think, be testing their blood sugar? Like, should we all know where we stand and what's going on? Can I take this? Yeah, card go on? ahead. Ninety-five million Americans are pre-diabetic, and eighty-five percent do not know it. Yep. So I think that any adult who can get a blood test should know what their fasting glucose level is and their AC1 levels. Okay. I actually have a blood glucose monitor sitting on my dining room table that I haven't done yet, but it's on my list. And what's important to note is that insurance paid for it and my doctor told me this is now being advocated as a baseline to give yourself like a two-week period so you can really see what's going on because this also brings us to everybody is different and you do need to find out what works for you to sustain the healthy lifestyle uh cravings what can i do when i want to pig out and eat a big brownie give me Uh, a trick well we all struggle with this Nobody is null and void from this challenge. Um, One trick we teach our participants how to ride out the wave of a craving, uh, which lasts about 90 seconds. Really? Is that all? That is it. You can do anything for 90 seconds. Okay. That that surprises me. I would have thought it lasted longer. You know, some of what goes on is our bodies change over time. And I know you're big on self-acceptance, self-awareness, and wellness issues. And I was reading something very interesting about body grief. Is that familiar to you, that people are mourning the loss of the body they used to have or maybe the metabolism they used to have? Absolutely. Again, as we age, 
everything changes. We're struggling with transitions, and transitional periods are hard. So when our body changes, our body is a fascinating system, and it's constantly trying to communicate with us, but we don't always know that. Or we don't listen. Or we don't listen, which is part of, again, the process, the method we teach is slowing down, tuning in, and also integrating self-compassion. Well, you just attended, Jen, a week at a Sedona training um, with a self-compassion guru, um, Kristen Neff, I think is her name. Yes. What's, let's say, one tip you can give listeners? Oh, I have so many tips. Okay, you okay. can give a few of them. Let me give you a couple. Um, I have found them to be transformative in my own life, especially with helping me with stress eating. So one of the tips is the fact that we are so kind and thoughtful with others in our life, yet not with ourselves. And most of us, this will resonate with. So when we're struggling, whether it's with our body changing, with stress eating, it's taking a pause and a deep breath. And most of us aren't breathing well, but we can reset our nervous system and slow our whole, our mind down just by breathing. And then saying quietly to ourselves. Uh, it's all going to be okay. Or may I feel safe. And just having our own little mantra to remind ourselves and also feeling our feet on the ground. I'm okay right now. I am present. It is all right. And it sounds so silly, but it's very effective. And you really mean physically being aware of your two feet on the ground and thinking about that. Literally feeling the support beneath us with our feet on the ground and tuning into our breath. Hmm. Bringing ourselves to present moment awareness and remind, we have to remind us, and I have to remind myself as well, um, that this is part of being human. It's this common humanity that we all struggle with. Very powerful. So let me get to one of the questions we ask all of our guests. What does balance mean to you? And let's start with Jean Marie. That's, well, I think for me, I like to, I actually spend a lot of time thinking about happiness and in the blue zones. And I think at the end of the day, my life should be balanced in a way that I am feeling joyful and happy. And so a couple things have to be true for me. I have to be connected to other human beings, to my friends, my family, my children. I have to be well. I couldn't be in a state of addiction and be balanced. And that was one thing that was really um, important to me was getting my own control over myself with, with first with drinking. Not that I was out of control. I didn't even want to stop drinking, but I just happened to have stopped drinking. But I realized it was not serving me. And then that this this sugar addiction wasn't serving me. By the way, I had a question. When you gave up alcohol, how did that start? 
I mean, you weren't looking to do it. So what inspired you? One of my closest friends in the world was sitting at my island and she said, on, on like December 20th. And she says, do you want to take off alcohol for the month of January? And I was oh, like, dry January. Mm. Why would I want to do that? As we were having a glass of wine, she said, oh, you know, she was living in London. She says, we drink a lot there. And so we take like a month off. And I was like, OK, she says, but this one's going to be different. You're going to get an email every day educating you about alcohol. And I was like, oh, OK. Like, I don't really want to do that, but I love you. I'll do it. So I did it. And at the end of the month, I just couldn't even bear to think about drinking again. So I stopped. We need to ask Jen what balance means to her. Yes. Go for it. Before we run out of time. What is balance to you, Jen? Balance is living in alignment with my values of what's important to me. And also prioritizing self-care so I can live that way, to be more patient, to enjoy, to savor food in my life, people in my life. And isn't that what it's all about? So can you have it all and all at the same time? (laughs) You can have it all, but you can't do it all. So find your support system out there. It takes a village. I agree. And with that, we want to thank you, Jen Dorf and Jean-Marie Stein, and Sia Sugar. So it will be in our show notes for anyone who's interested. Uh, you'll get all the details. I'm Derrico. And I'm Maura Carlin.